Jamel Johnson reporting live for Broccoli House News. We're about 44 minutes into the MLS Cup. So far, I paid $5 cash for a Heineken, and I saw Will Ferrell get booed on the Jumbotron. I don't know what's going to happen next. Extra time just started. The number of shirtless men has quadrupled since my last check-in. 24 minutes into extra time. Maxime Crepeo just broke his leg in front of everybody. I took my shirt off in solidarity. You hear it, folks. Gareth Bale with a header in the 90 millionth minute. Get your green bean casseroles out. Well, there you have it, folks, in miraculous fashion. LAFC pull off a narrow victory for the MLS Cup. Hey, man, any, any thoughts on the game? Oh, yeah. It was great, and it was over, and we won. I know that's right. That sound you just heard was recorded by my co-host for today, Jamel Johnson, the great Jamel Johnson, from the bank where LAFC won their first MLS Cup in what is easily the greatest game in the history of that league. Delighted today to have uh, Jamel join us. It's going to be a fantastic show. We're going to talk about LAFC's uh, 2022 MLS campaign Will Leach, the great Will Leach, is going to join us to talk about the Astros uh, winning the World Series. How do we feel about that? What is the place of the Astros in history? Do we just forget that they're cheaters? What do we do about that? Uh, And then, of course, we're going to have LAFC Assistant General Manager Will Kuntz also to come on uh, to talk about what was just simply an unbelievable season. Uh, And now, please welcome to the stage... He was there in the Philly section of the bank watching LAFC ascend to the highest reaches of Major League Soccer. He's Jamel Johnson. Jamel, how are you? Hey, what's good? Um, you can mail my Peabody Award to my mom's <laughs> house. Send it to the crib, Woodbridge, what up? Dude, the game was crazy. Yeah, I mean... There are so many things that happen in this game that are, first of all, LAFC takes the early lead, then Philly ties up, okay, LAFC 2-1 lead now, kind of in the dying minutes of of regular time. About 80 minutes in, crazy. 80 minutes in, then Philly goes up, and in what is, I mean, you have a red card in this game from a keeper, Maxime Crampeau who had to come out and basically save the season and then broke his leg and had to be red carded, carted off with a broken leg, and now will miss the World Cup, and yet he saved the season for LAFC. Sacrificed his leg for the team, dog. His, it's insane. He was in the hospital bed with the medal on. Take me through the ups and downs. The thing about MLS is no t- no <laughs> game is ever out of reach. It gets, you know, just when, you, you know, this is not... It's a it's an incredible league and getting better all the time. But man, things happen in this league. So tell me tell me about the ups and downs, the emotional roller coaster that you were on at the bank. Dude, it it's yes, MLS is like wacky racers. Anyone can win at any point in any game. Everyone knows it. <laughs> yeah. I'm walking in 
a dude hands me a full beer for five dollars <laughs> cash. I'm like, I'm just spinning around. We get to our section. Nobody's trying to leave their seats. We had to like, we, we it was a fire hazard. The Philadelphia supporter <laughs> section was a straight up fire hazard. The benches are rocking. They're chanting to bury people in the ground. <laughs> I'm just trying to stay safe. When we went up, it was like, oh, dude, is that the dude from the interview where the reporter didn't know what team he's on? He just scored. It Look, it was like, it was just nonstop, just energy. Nobody sat for the entire game. Everybody's bouncing. I couldn't even hear the L.A. chants because the Philly chants were so loud. You could only hear L.A. when Philly decided to take a break. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you can't, you literally can't scream for 90 straight minutes. So whenever somebody had to breathe, that's when you could finally hear the other team. And it was just back and forth. I mean, Bale coming in, it seemed like everybody was like, got the tweets drafted <laughs> that Gareth Bale is a bum. <laughs> He's a bum. His ponytail sucks. This sucks. They should have put the Falcon in the game. Instead, Gareth Bale. Real Madrid fans were like getting ready to crawl up out of wherever they sleep to be like, I told you that Gareth Bale was a bum. Dog, they're selling luchador masks outside. There was a guy selling hot dogs in the ticket line. <laughs> like not in the not in the street, not on the sidewalk. He was in the line with a grill. Making bacon wrap hot dogs, man. I saw somebody in the event staff get arrested. A yellow jacket guy was handcuffed on the ground. <laughs> I've never seen that before in my life. I've never seen this amount of energy for American soccer. And I hope it continues. 110th minute. Center back, Jesus Murillo. Under, he's trying to play it back to the keeper to uh to Crepo and under hit like just shanks it just under hits it by far yeah. uh Philadelphia Union uh Corey Burke ran onto the ball and Crepo had to come out and just basically take his leg you know take it take the foul did you realize how badly he was hurt did people when did people start to realize oh shit like he is not going to be able to continue oh when the cart came out when the cart came out, everybody's wait, like, wait. Oh. "Were the was the union put him in the ground?" Chant going. Was it hot at that time? It was. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it was medium. It wasn't as hot okay. as the earlier one because there was what because there was a foul earlier in the game where they were hot. It was full volume. This one was half volume because they were mostly stoked. That they were about to win the game. They're like, yeah. we're about to get a penalty kick. It's 10 minutes left in the game. We're about to win. But then the longer it took to get him off the field, the barium <laughs> chance started to come back. It started to come back. They're loading this man onto the emergency gurney, onto the cart. L.A. fans are quiet as hell. It was so, it was sad. It was sad as hell. Um, he's on injured reserve today, but he was at the bank this weekend, and he's here now in this Zoom. Super producer Ryan Wallace. And Ryan, your impressions from championship weekend uh, at at the bank from your LAFC. 
you know, I'm going to have to keep it somewhat quick because my voice <laughs> has not recovered so, from the match. So when I seen you, I knew you, the, Ryan, covered in sweat, like he just ran a 400, <laughs> moist. So, yes, yes, it's true. So here's the deal, right? You know, we're going back and forth. I watch when LAFC is attacking the North End goal. I watch above the North End. And the seat that they had for the media was in section 224 on the south side. So I was going back and forth on each side of the stadium, depending on which way the action was directed. And at the end of it, we're talking the game ends, run back to the north end for the 15 minute. And then you have to get down to the south end for the 15 minutes. And then penalty kicks happened to the north side. So that was another run back to the north end of the stadium. You ran an 800. I was actually, yes, yes, you, 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 you nailed it. It was uh, it was frenetic. It was chaotic. You know, as Jamel said, we were sitting there real, real sad on so many levels, thinking about Real Madrid fans about to come at us, Galaxy fans about to come at us. And for it all to turn on its head the way that it did, I don't usually listen to, like, you know, the, the commissioners of these leagues when they say this was the greatest game ever because they say that, like, you know, every other year. But in this case this actually might have been the greatest MLS matchup. The amount of crazy things, the goals, of course, were amazing. But like, you know, a keeper getting a red card, breaking his leg, getting carted off, 10 men, Gareth Bale, super sub, you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the star signings of the season who has not played, who's like, the, yep. who the, you know, the narrative around him coming out of Europe was, Gareth Bale's fucking washed. Like, he's probably done you know I, I think if you were cynical you said well he just came to lafc basically as a warm-up to be able to to play in the world cup for wales and has not what he played like how many minutes did he play all year like 300 like not a lot he only appeared in 12 games uh in the regular season and alejandro bedoya of philadelphia he alluded to it before the match he gave bale his flowers but also hit him with a little left-handed compliment saying yeah he's great but you know he doesn't really play he doesn't play so i don't know how worried we are about him but I bet you Alejandro Bedoya woke up very worried about Gareth Bale on Sunday. For him to come in on extra time and then score a header at the 120. And by the way, the veteran savvy of a player nearing the end of his like elite, uh, you know, certainly the end of his elite career, but at the end of his professional career to be like, don't touch me as I run to celebrate because I need to stay in this game. Don't jump on my back. Don't do any of, let me run through you to go celebrate. It was fucking, it was incredible. And the calls were amazing too. Bro, the buildup before that, when it was about five minutes left in extra time before he scored, Bale starts tapping his wrist. Real? Bale time. Get the fuck? Yep. He was in front of the South End goal. He's tapping his wrist, looking at everybody. Cause you know, he's the front, the front, yeah. he's a striker. And so he's looking at the other nine dudes like, hey, yo, somebody get me a ball, man. No, no, no. You know what it was? Andre Blake, the tremendous goalkeeper for the Philadelphia Union, three time goalkeeper of the year, Jamaican number one. He was, you know, walking around with the ball, trying to like run the clock. Oh, out. yeah. And Gareth Bale was doing bail time to the ref. Like, yo, yo, let's go. I need that real quick. Let me see something. And that's what makes the goal that much better. The fact that he straight up hit the Dame time and then (laughs) said, at the death, the latest goal in MLS history. It's it's legendary. To Palacios, to the byline. Palacios clipping it up. Gareth Bale. 
take a bow. This might just be his fourth touch of the game. But when it came, it was one touch, one goal. What was it like there when that happened? When that popped When he off? scores the goal? I almost yeah. fell down my seat. I, I almost fell. I almost fell all the way down. I almost fell from row T <laughs> to what's before letter A. I almost fell to some parentheses, dog. I don't know what section <laughs> I would have landed in. It was extraordinary. The section 224, the top three rows were for the media that couldn't fit in the press box. And that's where I was when he scored. And, you know, the rule at games is that you're not supposed to cheer. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't in the press box because I broke that rule. And then, you know, two, three seconds. Then I really, wait, no, I, I'm, let me stop. I like glanced over at the press box to see if anyone had noticed, but they were up there jumping and cheering as well. And then I was like, all right, cool. We're all on the same page. We haven't even talked about the fact that this was all just to get to penalty kicks. And then the backup keeper makes two straight saves after LAFC. I'm, I'm saying we, hey, fuck it. We, I'm with him. After we <laughs> missed the first kick, this guy proceeds to make two straight stops. And we didn't even need the last two rounds of penalties. The backup. The backup wins man of the match. He was only on the field for like 15 minutes. Then there's the wrinkle of the fact that the, uh, um, the backup keeper who came on, McCarthy, is was kind of like the shootout specialist. Like it, it weirdly like worked out as you then go into into kicks to 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 decide this game. Bro, it was unreal. And pre-show, you know what? This is this isn't fully connected to the game, but it definitely it felt like the whole feel, especially being in the Philly section, felt like the original MLS energy versus the new like acceptance of Central America, Latin America, like the feel yes. of like where MLS is now versus where it started. Philly, a great team. And I don't even know if they're an original team, but the energy was a certain level of whiteness to it. It is what it is. It was a lot of white people. They were doing a lot of white things. LAFC, quite the opposite. Oh, LAFC is definitely not that. That's, I mean, you know, you have to say... As a person who like watched early MLS, you know, Metro Stars era when the league was kind of like you felt like the league was consciously trying to play down how Latino centric the the passion for soccer in North America was. And then to go to the LAFC where the vibe is just like cooking all the time. It, it's just amazing. Uh, congratulations to LAFC. Congratulations to you guys. That must have been, you know, what an amazing way to spend a weekend. I got to admit, I thought it was fucking over. I thought they were done. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was over. We all did. Everybody. Anyone who said that they didn't is lying. And that's what makes this so great. Let's go to LAFC Assistant General Manager Will Coons. time I saw you, we were flying through the skies with the god Mitch Lasky. Will is a part owner of LAFC and just a cool, cool all-around guy. Titan, legitimately titan of life. To think that Hell we were yeah. like 30,000 feet in the air and now you're even higher. You've ascended to heights that can only have been dreamed of 
at that time, years ago, above the continental United States in the private jet of one Mitch Lasky. Will, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling pretty good today. <laughs> I'm pretty good today. A little hungover. I bet. I mean, just take us through the emotions. Many people are saying it's the greatest game in MLS history. It was an absolutely insane affair. There was never, until the game was dead, over, done, shootouts over, there was really never a moment where you felt like, I, I know what's going to happen next. So take us through your feelings as you're watching this team that you helped assemble, uh, you know, fight for a championship. <laughs> you know, easily one of the wildest games uh, you know, I've ever w- watched, let alone kind of been a, a tangential part of. I will say, you know, before the game, the 3252, our fans in the North End, you know, they had the TIFO, the, the big sort of painted mural that they make before every game and put up. And it's always a surprise. We don't know what it's going to be. Um, and it was a black and gold, like Dragon Ball Z Super Scion. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> when I saw that before the game, I was like, yo, we got this. So even... When Jack Elliott scores, you know, in the 127th minute or whatever it was, uh, you know, I kind of felt like, hey, we we still got the chance. Um, nah, that's real. Gogeta wasn't going to let y'all go out like that. <laughs> no chance. No <laughs> chance. Nah, that's real. Um, no, for the games, I mean, like, they had the flares going. And, like, the flares that MLS does not let you have. But I think our fans are like, hey, it's, it's, it's yeah, MLS Cup. Like, like, do something, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They do not. They don't let them have it. But I've seen them many times there. So you know. Oh, bro! You just reminded me after. Okay, so right before the uh, trophy ceremony, is fools from the fan section are trying to come onto the field. A guy ran onto the field, lit a flare as security's trying to chase him around the field. He made it back to the stands, but then he still had the flare in his hand. Listen, it was a championship day all the way around. You know, it like, really know. was. Contrast that to that poor Phillies fan who tried to get out of left field at Citizens Bank and, and couldn't quite make it. Right, <sighs> so uh, the inches we need are everywhere around us. <laughs> oh, okay. So I mean, to this point, Gareth Bale's season was like up and down. It's kind of like him and Carlos Vela. It, it wasn't really working with them on the field at the same time. But then in this game. Him coming on for Vela as a sub worked out perfectly. What did this mean for his time with LAFC? Does it increase his odds of coming back? Is he just a legend? Is he going to start selling lowriders? What's next for Bale? Do you have you heard anything? I, I mean, listen. I, I think <laughs> in, in the last few months have taught me anything. Whatever this dude wants to do, right? Um, he, he kind of punches his own ticket, but. You know, it, this is one of those things where when you're here every day and you get to see him in training, uh, you know, and the stuff that he does on a random Tuesday that, that nobody's ever going to know about, uh, you see the quality, you know, it's in there. Um, he's a very, uh, I think, stoic guy and, and pretty good about keeping it inside. But we all know he's got the weight of an entire nation on his shoulders, right? So he's he's out here training with us, but you know, he's he's got this other thing um, in the back of his mind, and, and that's only natural, right? You got to understand that, but. Tell you what, he, uh, he left it for late, but uh, he showed up when it mattered, right? And I think having that quality, but also having the depth of our roster so we can bring in uh, a designated player like Denis Buanga, who was at Saint-Étienne in France, um, comes here, and he's the guy that gets us the supporter shield with the goal against uh, Portland you know, late in the season. He's the guy who gets us uh, past the Galaxy and uh, helps us get past Austin. I mean, he's that difference maker, right? So, so Gareth gets to kind of just uh, sort of 
be a part of the team, a part of the squad, which I think is great for him. And, you know, here he gets to speak Spanish and nobody cares, right? Madrid, if he said anything, they'd, they'd run him out of town on a rail. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't want to relive that part of his career, those particular narratives around his career. We could see you in the, on the podium behind Carlos Vela as Carlos is lifting the trophy. Carlos, the owner of what is probably the greatest, like, single season stats wise for a player in MLS history. And now a champion of, you know, what was, what was his mood? What does this mean for him? You know, uh, it's, he's an incredible guy, Carlos. And when you, if you kind of go deep into the history of everything he's been through with the Mexican national team and the Mexican press, you know, he's carried so much on his shoulders and he never lets it affect him. You know, every day he's just that steady Eddie guy, you know, the kid from Cancun, comes in, has his espresso right before training, goes out, plays. But, you know, to come in and, and kind of come to basically the, if you're not going to be in Mexico City, like this is like the most Mexican place in the world, Los Angeles, right? Uh, to come here and not shrink away from the moment, you know? Uh, yeah. So 2018 carried us, 2019, that, you know, he went super silent in 2019, right? I mean, he, he did that thing. Um, 2020, obviously a crazy year with the pandemic, but we qualified for the Champions League that year. And so we played, uh, Leon, you know, home and away before the pandemic. And then we played T, you know, Club America, Tigres and Cruz Azul after that. Right. And in all of those games, you know, that for me is like, when I think about Carlos now as a competitor, the way he just put the whole squad on his back and the way the opponents in these Mexican clubs tried to kill him, like take his ankles off his body. But then as soon as the game was over, we're just, you know, bowing down to him and giving him all the platitudes. And you're like, man, this dude, uh, kill him. Legitimately. You know, he, yeah. he is something special. And then you know, yesterday we had our celebration with our supporters uh, in Expo Park. And Carlos got to get up in front of the mic. And, and our co-president, John Thornton, and I were talking about, man, remember five and a half years ago when we had signed Carlos and we did this kind of same thing here? Uh, and now he gets to start stand up and, and lift that trophy. So it's awesome. Uh, but, but, you know, so happy for him. And, and he deserves it all. He's Again, he's one of those guys that, like the stuff that he does. These are poor keepers, man. They get chipped from ridiculous angles, or like you know, he he scores goals without looking at the goal. I mean, it, it's insanely, it's insane how talented this guy is, um, and I think he's underappreciated just as a you know American icon. Damn, I missed the celebration at Expo Park. Was there like a little, um, like a little pudgy kid selling hot dogs out there? I didn't see him at the game, but I seen him at every. He was at every game I went to in the regular season, whether it was like. 7 p.m. start. One, like, he was out there 11 p.m. on a week school night selling hot dogs. Just what's up to him if you're listening? We got some real ones all the way around inside and outside the stadium, you know? Yo, you guys have done an amazing job of, like, getting the Latino community in L.A. around the team. It just seems like whenever, when the team was announced, y'all pulled up to East L.A. with a couple vans and was like, look, get in. And everybody did. And so you came from the Yankees in 2017, like, what was the big difference between working for them and starting something from the ground up? Like, I assume like this, getting that community was like a, a number one on the agenda. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, born and, read, born and bred New Yorker, uh, never lived outside of New York, so I moved out here. Uh, I left the Yankees in 2014 to go work for the MLS League office. So I spent three years working for the league in New York. Mm. I got to work on the CBA negotiations with the players union so that was like the appeal for me um but that made it very clear that i, I think this world you know there, there's some uh lines that like divide the world up very cleanly like you're either this or that 
And one of those things I think is like, you're either somebody who likes working for the league and, and that lifestyle, what that's like, or you're somebody who likes working for the club. Right. And they're very different. They each have their pros and cons. And, and I learned about myself that I'm a, a club guy, right. When I was working at the league office and then, you know, I was, I was looking to make a move and uh, had the opportunity to come out uh, and, and build out here. And I was like, man, you, you have to do it right. Like the opportunity to build something from scratch in LA with what I think is like the, the tightest logo I've, I've ever seen. You know, our club crest is, I mean, you know, you rock it right now. I mean, that it is as clean and like iconic uh, and, and just sort of self-evident as you could ever possibly hope for. And then, you know, I, uh, when I come out here, you're sort of always thinking like, all right, this is the nicest they're ever going to be to you, right? When they're recruiting you and trying to bring you out, right? So you just have to assume like, it's, it's never getting better than this, right? And then you get out here and you're like, yo, this is, like, this is wild. And then you're like, wait, this is, like, I actually don't think everybody realizes how special this can be. And you're like, but we got to, you know, got to put a good team on the field first. Yeah. Uh, but once we kind of started to get some pieces, Carlos was a huge first piece. And then, you know, once you actually get to the stadium, you're like, my God, this is a, this is a jewel. This is unlike anything we have uh, you know, domestically here. And it's, it's sort of unique, even amongst like the global football stadiums, uh, you know, I'll say football, not soccer, you know, whatever. It's, it's a great place to be. And so, you know, just to come out here and be a part of the, and to feel the, the vibe and the energy. Right. And I think what the club was really great about early on was just saying, Hey, like we're, we're starting a soccer team. Like if you want to mess with us, like, come on. Right. Like we sort of went to everybody. We try to be super inclusive. And I think you feel that. Right. So when we give up a goal, if you're just watching the 32 52 in the North end, you wouldn't know the, that the other team has scored. Right. Cause they just keep going, they keep chanting. And so, um, you know, it's a really cool way to get to learn about LA as, as somebody from the outside and man, uh, our fans, like, they are as good as you'll find anywhere in the world. I'll stand on that. How's Max doing? He gave up his body, you know, to, to save the game, essentially. Uh, pretty gnarly injury. It ended up weirdly, you know, McCarthy is such a shootout specialist, so it was great to have him in there uh, down the stretch. But how is Max doing right now? Uh, yeah, he's, he's doing okay. He had surgery yesterday, uh, you know, and then those those shots of the guys FaceTiming with him on the field. Um you know, I, you know, we watch our games from the roof and, and the first thing we do when we got downstairs, I ran into the locker room and Max was already gone. Right. And so I know yeah, he was great. Yeah. Bummed about that, but you know, we were able to get him a medal. Um, and he had that, his wife was at the celebration yesterday. So that was awesome. You know, Max is, uh, you know, he's Quebecois, right? Like my man is from Montreal and he's, he's like a hockey goalie. He's got a different mindset. So even our, even our guys, our medical guys, when you know, he's on the field and, and even from the roof, we're like, oh, that's, you can tell it's bad. And like our, our training staff was just like, he was just like, Hey man, you know, do you guys think you can give me some medicine? And <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah we'll, you know, we'll give you some medicine, Max. Um, but they were like, he was, he was super calm, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a little in shock, but he's a real one. Right. Um, he's like, can I take my shin guards off? They were like, no, we, we'll, we'll do that for you. But uh, he's as tough as they come. Uh, and then he's, you know, he's like a heartbeat of this team. And then, you know, John McCarthy, you don't really get to see a backup keeper very often, but, Anybody on the inside has known, dating back into the preseason, uh, we had a preseason tournament out in Palm Springs, Indio, and I forget if we were playing DC or Red Bull, but somebody, and they were just kicking the, the crap out of us, right? Um, and John McCarthy grabbed the guys at halftime was like, hey, don't let this happen. Like, do not let them, like, of course they're going to kick you. Like, stop it, right? Either hit them back or just keep moving. But like, you know, don't get involved in this BS. And and we knew then that John was that guy, right? Just an awesome guy to have around the locker room and the team. And then, you know, for him to step up against his hometown team uh, in the biggest moment, you know, for a guy that, again, we knew that we might have to find a way to get him on the field because he was so good at, 
stopping penalty kicks anyway, right? So uh, just a huge one for him and, and he and Max. I know, you know they spent so much time working together as a unit. Uh, some good vibes all the way around. Um, okay, one last thing. Uh, obviously, this is a big title in the history of L.A. sports. Uh, this is the fourth title in the last two years for the city. You guys are set up for success going forward. Uh, a message for the people listening to this who think, oh, maybe you, I should get tickets. And they're kind of like cornballs and they don't really know, like, what's really popping. Is there anything you'd like to say to <laughs> some fans who are just hearing about the power of LAFC? Just, you know, just come try it. Just come, come to the stadium. Like, I, like that's, I don't know if you guys have been, but like, that's all I can say. It's like, and yeah, and you, you can't really know until, you, until you've shown up, but it's different. I've, I've been around. It's, it's different. Um, yeah. When I, so quick story after we rode on Mitch's private jet, Mitch invited me to a game. I went down, sat in the owner's box behind like Will Ferrell and his like 15 children and Jerry West and Jerry West, LAFC was in the process of, of losing to the Sounders in this game. And Jerry West was, like, pissed. Jerry West loves footy, folks. He was like, we're not pr- get up on him. We're giving him too much space in the midfield. Like, I was listening to what he was saying, and he was just bitching the whole fucking game about, about, the, about the formation, about how much, like... How much time on ball the Sounders were getting? It was, it was, it's a fun time at the stadium, folks. <laughs> everywhere the passion is everywhere, and it goes all the way up to the legend himself, Jerry West. And and that is the, everybody's fan experience. We just like Jason described. Um, so definitely come check it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was just like that. <laughs> and be ready to go when you come. You're not going to be able to sit down if you want to have a seat. <laughs> take that shit to Torrance. All right, we stand it. <laughs> Just like SeaWorld, you know, like if you're sitting in the first floor, yes. like you're going to get wet. Like we score a goal, there's going to be beer flying. Um, Deal with it. Yeah, bring a raincoat, change of clothes. Um, you know, champagne problems, right? Will, uh, congratulations, man. It's uh, what an awesome game. What an awesome season. Uh, can't wait to see what happens next year. Thank you, guys. I'm a huge fan of everything you do. Thanks for having me on. Alvarez hits a high drive center field. Veerling's back. This game is turned upside down. After a 4-1 win on Saturday in which Jordan Alvarez launched a sixth inning, 450-foot blast over center field. But Houston up for good. The Astros are World Series champs yet again. No asterisk this time, as far as we know. Jeremy Pena, Houston's rookie shortstop, who won a gold glove this season and hit 400 to win the World Series, was named MVP. Of course, this is Houston's second championship in six seasons. And here today to help us break it all down, including Houston's place in sports history, is Will Leach, columnist with MLB.com, whose novel The Time Has Come is out in May of next year. Will, welcome to Take Line. Oh, please. It is an honor and a delight, sir. Thank you for uh, having me. Uh, I can't believe you've, uh, l- this show has fallen to the point where you've allowed me to come on. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh. Come on. Uh, 
Well, let's get to this first. Before we get into the naughty history, uh, yes. the, the naughty and complicated recent history uh, of the ooh. Houston Astros, are they a dynasty? Is this a dynasty? Is this a baseball dynasty? As much as any baseball team can be a dynasty, right? Like the thing about baseball is like there's so many playoff teams. It's not like the NBA or the NFL, right? Like, right, yeah. like you can take the worst team in, in baseball and give them a five-game series against the best team in baseball, and they'd win it like a third of the time, right? Like it's it's not like it's an obvious thing. It's really kind of a crapshoot when you get in the playoffs, which it makes it really hard. The Dodgers – ostensibly if this were 1945 right. and thank God it isn't, right. but uh, I mean, maybe, uh, but certainly I know. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, if they'd be a dynasty back then because they made the world series every year. Now you've got to go through every single, all these playoff series and, and teams get picked off. So to be able to get two world series in, in five years or however long they've done it uh, is pretty impressive to say the least, particularly when they've been the, the LCS basically four or five straight years. That's really impressive. A dynasty, I just don't know if we're going to see the sort of dynasties that we saw when there were fewer playoff teams, like the Yankees or the, the, the mini Yankees dynasties or the Dodgers dynasties or even my Cardinals dynasties back in the day. I just don't know <laughs> if you're going to see that anymore just because the playoffs are so weird and kind of random. Does it matter the cheating? Do we care? Here's my theory, okay? Uh, now it's time. We've done it yet. <laughs> yeah, what do I say? I... Four plays over. Let's do yeah, okay. it. Come okay. on. So I got, I got my cards on the table here. I do not like the Houston Astros. I want nothing to do with Houston Astros. I am not a defender of the Houston Astros as a concept. I like it when the fans wear the little astronaut helmets. I think it's a very charming thing <laughs> sure. to wear yeah, yeah, in the that's field. That's fun. I feel like when there's a little kid that does this, it's just really cute. Uh, but on the whole, I'm not like really on their side. It is worth noting that I think the, this scandal, listen, as someone that loves baseball and has a lot of friends that are less into baseball than they used to be, I found it very interesting that when that scandal happened, everyone's like, oh my God, this is awesome. What's this scandal going on in baseball? It made baseball briefly, like Stephen A. Smith was talking about baseball for the first time in like 15 years. <laughs> like, uh, like, like that's the only, it was, it was, I called it a fun, I wrote a story for New York Magazine about it, basically calling it the first fun baseball scandal. It's not steroids where it's a battle for the soul of the game. It's did he cheat or did they not cheat? And by the way, just to remind you, the high-tech cheating was hitting a tr plastic trash can with a bat. I don't want to overstate. Like, people are like, oh, well, now the technology is so different now that it's it's over the top. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a plastic trash can. And I think what made that scale such a big thing is there are people like John Boy and people and like and all like people in social media got to get excited and be like, oh, I'm watching clips from a game from 2017. I think I hear a before yeah. he bats. Yeah. Aha! It's a scandal. I caught you. And it felt like we all like had really like grabbed it. As far as scandals go, listen, this has been going on in baseball forever. Like literally every single time you ever see a runner on second base and the game stops because the pitcher has to talk to the catcher and they have to make sure they're not stealing the signs. And they have to, and the game basically just shuts down when there's a runner on second because they're afraid the runner on second is going to steal the signs from the catcher. That's exactly what the Astros were doing. It's going on throughout baseball history. Now, because it was a fun kind of high-tech thing, it's become a big... I, the person I feel bad for really is Jose Altuve. There was never a buzzer. There was no buzzer. He was on record as hating the the trash can thing. There's actually a video of someone of a trash can bang and him like getting really mad at the plate. Like, don't do it. I don't like that. And I think that's a potential Cooperstown player that might not get in now because people, I think, unfairly have attached him to this. But that said, I understand in baseball in particular, people get really dialed up about cheating. I don't really feel like other sports care that much. I think we all just kind of understand that it's, it's prison rules. Like, whatever you got to do to win in other sports, 
sports, it's fine. But for baseball, for some reason, there's this idea of, oh, well, this is the sanctity of the game. And I think that's a, a, a kind of ridiculous notion for baseball. It was never that. Baseball's always been a game for ruffians and cheaters and rapscallions and all sorts of bad people. And uh, the Astros uh, uh, figured out a way to do it. Hey, that's real, man. You know, Ty Cobb used to suplex people in the middle of the game. Oh, for <laughs> he ran into the stands and like, and like, and like the guy got beat up and he was like, oh, Ty Cobb beats you up. That's just one of the things that happened when you go to a baseball game in Detroit in 1924. And now judges love it. So we got to follow all the rules. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And it is. I think that's right. And I, I think one of the things that's really frustrating for me as someone that loves baseball and still loves baseball is I feel like a lot of people's baseball fandom froze when they were like 15. And if the game is not like it was when they first fell in love with baseball, it's somehow not the same. And I don't like it anymore. And I think that is, I think that says more about the person that's complaining about it than necessarily baseball itself. I understand, yes, there were things that they did that were outside the rules and that they were appropriately punished for. Maybe people think there should have been more punishment. Some people should think there have been less punishment. But certainly it was a scandal. It's a way to clown on the Astros anytime you get a chance. But the idea that it's somehow out of the context of baseball history in any way, shape, or form has always struck is a little bit ridiculous. About baseball being the baseball that people remember from when they were 15. A lot of changes coming down the pike for the MLB in next season and certainly a, a significant changes to the playoff structure this season with you know three division winners in each league, three wild card teams per league. Next year we're going to have the shift go bye-bye. There's going to be some uh, clock limits on stuff mm-hmm. your thoughts on how the game is evolving and what the game needs to do to evolve into the 21st century i think it needs to do what it's been doing which is getting more comfortable with the idea of change again to compare it to other sports i know that's silly to be like well baseball is obviously different than the nba or the nfl yeah but certainly these are like that's baseball i think while i think baseball's decline is a little overstated i certainly think that yeah. you've seen them rise a little bit while baseball's lost a little ground and a large part of that because the NFL and the NBA change their rules all the time and nobody cares. <laughs> like nobody yeah. really cares. And like yeah. I, one, of my, one of my favorite things about the NBA, I, I, I'm, a, I'm for the record Knicks fan, as we all know, I'm sorry. It's all <laughs> a dark time. Apology <laughs> accepted. Free topping. Uh, and, um, but you think about the, the NBA, basically there's a rule at the NBA, the NBA games that says, okay, if, if you call a timeout with under five seconds left, uh, you, on the one in the court, you can move the ball without losing any time to mid court. Now that breaks the basic laws of time and space. That is like not the way that like <laughs> earth moves, but we've just decided, Oh, it's more fun that way. And it is more fun that way. So if they just do it. And I feel like that's one thing that the NBA and the NFL do really, really well. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Probably it gets the spirit of the way that this was adapted from cricket or whatever it was in 1880, but certainly, Certainly, it's more fun this way. So let's do it that way. And maybe some will work and maybe we can adjust and we can try to adjust these things as they go along. Baseball has always been very, very hesitant to do that. And so I kind of, I don't necessarily agree with all the changes. I think the idea of having a shift is kind of dumb. The idea, like I understand that like they've, there's there's the argument that you've banned zone defenses in, in the past in the NBA. Right. But like at a certain level, it still feels like, I don't know, just like there's only eight of you out there 
position you to stop where the ball is. And if you can't, then it feels weird to tell them where they can stand at a certain level. Uh, but I understand that like they feel that there's been too many strikeouts. There's not enough action on the field. The way that people remember the game of, you know, uh, Vince Col- my I'm a Cardinal fan. I remember Vince Coleman, Willie McGee hitting triples off the AstroTurf and uh, stealing bases all the time. People love, you know, people love Ken Griffey. I think Ken Griffey for a lot of people represents what they loved about baseball. And I think the game has lost a little bit of that. So they're trying to bring that back a little bit. Some of it will work, some of it won't, but I'm glad that at a certain level, they're no longer being like, you know what, if this upsets like a 58-year-old dude in Omaha, we shouldn't do it. <laughs> like, I think that, like, they're embracing <laughs> the idea of, like, you know what, let's try stuff. Let's try stuff a little bit and make the game more exciting. Because, listen, I want baseball to survive. This Baseball is my favorite sport. And it's not my favorite sport because it's exactly the way it was when I was eight years old. I want it to evolve and I want it to grow. And I want it to be more fun. And I think baseball is doing a good job of that. Now, I don't like everything they're doing, but I like that they're doing stuff. Are you telling me that... uh, uh Getting no hit in the World Series is bad. Is that a bad thing that happened? <laughs> is that, yeah, it is. It is weird, right? Like, like it's also funny too because I know there are a lot of people that are upset that they pulled the pitcher with the no hitter in the World Series. But like, yeah. the game is so different, right? Like, look at Justin Verlander. Yeah. When we think of Justin Verlander, you know, he's this old, this grizzled. Uh, like, it's very weird, by the way, that he's grizzled, but Kate Upton looks pretty much the exact same way that she really has the <laughs> entire time. Like, Verlander is skincare. I think it's that skincare. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. more moisturizer for, uh, for but not, not enough to doctor the ball, to be clear, Justin Verlander. Right, 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 right. Different serums, not those serums. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, right. But at a certain level, Verlander is like this grizzled guy. And people talk about like, wow, that that's a real starting pitcher. That's how they used to do it back in the day. If you saw his World Series game, he made it through five innings barely. And the pitching is such a more physical thing now. They use it because they're all throwing 100 miles an hour on everything. Yeah. If you watch the All-Star game this year and you saw some of the pitchers and they had the mics on the pitchers and literally it feels like they're running laps. Like after after every pitch they're like, hey, what was that pitch? <laughs> Give me a second, I'll answer your question. Because because it's really hard to pitch now because they're going all out on every pitch. It's not like Jack Morris in the 90s where he's throwing 83 mile an hour fastballs and saving his energy for the end of the game. It's a different sport. If you, if you want a full game no hitter in the World Series, you're not going to get one because the guy's going to be exhausted by the seventh inning. And so it's just a different game. And I understand that if you grew up thinking a no hitter is a complete game by one player, yeah, that's an adjustment. I have all sorts of other bad news about the rest of the planet, how that's changed <laughs> since you were a child as well. And it's very weird that baseball is expected to like live in this place where no baseball doesn't change. Everything else is like a walking nightmare compared to what. It was in a lot of ways the best, and, but other things are also completely better in, in so many things. But everything has changed so much. The idea that like baseball is supposed to sit kind of a not moving is, has always felt very strange to me. This was a, a legacy performance, I think, for Justin Verlander. And I think if there's one person who non Astros fans can feel good about, in addition to Verlander, it was Dusty Baker. Hey, tell us about this win for Dusty Baker's career. Yeah, Dusty Baker is. I think he's tenth all times in, in managerial wins, and everyone above him had is either in the Hall of Fame. Uh, is both in the Hall of Fame and had won a World Series. So clearly it was his time. And not just that, like there were times where he was managing good teams and still got fired. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was in a way that was really frustrating. The thing that's kind of great about Dusty Baker, though, is every time you see him interviewed about this, like all of that stuff about how I think he's been treated unfairly, about how close he's come in the past, how frustrating it's been, he seems to be like, 
vaguely disinterested in all of it. It's like the best thing about Dusty Baker. <laughs> yes. He is definitively Dusty Baker. You're like, Dusty, what, is it, what does it mean to get to this point? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm literally mainlining a beer because I just won the World Series. What were you asking me? And like, what? like Dusty Baker <laughs> is very focused on, uh, he's always been kind of no nonsense, uh, really with the press and with his players. The thing that people like about Dusty Baker is he's not self-important. Managers are kind of famously self-important and they're all, I, I think, very well satirized by Philip Seymour Hoffman in Moneyball, actually. The idea that, like, I'm a leader of men and I'm a blah, 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 blah. And Dusty Baker is not like that. Dusty Baker was a former player. He's actually won a World Series as a player, but it was 41 years ago. And he's famously knows nonsense. He just kind of tells the players what to do. A lot of times they'll ask him his strategy. He's like, eh, I don't know. Felt like the right thing to do. And we just kind of move on with our day. And I kind of love that about Dusty Baker. He is both old school while still kind of evolving with the game. And there's just no one in the, that's ever worked in the sport that really has a bad word to say about him and really ever has. That's really hard because baseball people are constantly snapping at each other uh, all the time. So for Dusty Baker to have that, even with people that didn't want the Astros to win, it was exciting to see him do it. Do you think he comes back next year or can his soul finally rest? <laughs> it's funny. At a certain level, the good thing about Dusty Baker, I, I, I kind of touched on this before, I don't think he was ever tortured at all. We, I think we projected torture onto Dusty Baker. I think he was fine. Like, yeah, mm. I'd like to win one, but uh, I don't know. This is... What, what else am I doing? <laughs> like, certainly, he's a baseball guy, right? He's been involved in baseball every single day forever. We forget this sometimes. I talk about him winning a World Series 41 years ago and how long ago that was. It probably doesn't feel that way to Dusty Baker because he's been in yeah. uniform every single season since then. So really, it's just kind of the idea that he's going to be like, well, now I won a World Series, so... I don't know, I'll learn to fish, I guess. <laughs> like, at a certain level, I feel like he wants to go back out there. Like, he like he kind of, like, like, and so if he wants to go back, I'm sure they would have him. The Astros actually kind of have some internal issues over there. The new GM, uh, there's some disagreements with him and the owner. The owner, uh, Jim Crane, is famously kind of mercurial as billionaire sports owners tend to be. So uh, sure, sure. I think that, uh, you know, you don't know how stable it's going to be there. But it's not just that he won the World Series. We talk, we talk about the scandal, and I can think it's not as big a deal as other people did, but it was a huge problem for them. Like, that franchise was yeah. in ruins, and bringing Dusty Baker in, who everybody loves, everybody respects, and clearly was the one pretty people that, person that people would root for, it was kind of a masterstroke for them. Uh, no, you could root against the Astros, you could root against Jose Altuve. It was really hard to root against Dusty Baker, and I think that that's why I think people are, are happy for him right now. He is Will Leach, his novel How Lucky, which Stephen King called a fantastic novel that you will love, is available now. Will, great to see you. Of course, it's my pleasure. I look forward to coming on next year when you all are ready to talk about baseball again. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show and check out my pop culture and entertainment podcast, X-Ray Vision, which comes out every Friday. Check it out. Bye. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah Dubalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. 